This is Dr. Peter Bolavsky, Professor of Otolaryngology, Head and Neck Surgery at UC Davis, and co-founder of Hope Medical and Reflux Gourmet. And this is One on One with ABC Partners. Hi, this is Dave Elmy from ADC Partners. And look, I know, I know, I know. This is a sports business podcast. The focus has always been on talking to people in the industry who are doing cool and interesting things. My challenge, though, is that I meet a lot of people from outside the sports business world who are also up to cool and interesting things. And then my curiosity gets the better of me. So curiosity may have well killed the cat, but apparently it's also started up a podcast. Dr. Peter Polofsky is a perfect example of this. The renowned surgeon, inventor, and physician is widely recognized as a leader in his specialty of, and I'm making sure I'm getting this right, otolaryngology. I'm told that's science speak for the ear, nose, and throat. He's treated kings, famous hip-hop artists, athletes, and currently heads up the Voice and Swallowing Center at UC Davis. In our conversation, we'll get into his origin story to discuss how he became a doctor, how he pursues ideas and innovations that lead to new devices and treatments, the launch of his new product, Reflux Gourmet, and advice he has for people suffering from his area of focus, acid reflux. And I'll give you a hint, there's great news for coffee drinkers. So you're welcome. So your dad was a doctor. This is a family business for you. And I'm wondering if you have some memories of your dad as a doctor. And was there a moment when you started thinking, okay, yeah, I, I kind of want to do that. I see what my dad's doing here. What, what was that moment for you? Actually, I'm going to take a step back, Dave. It was my grandfather was also a doctor. So this is a family, family business. Family, family business. Um, and it's really the looking back on the generational effect you could have on people's lives mm. that truly inspired my passion. Did you have patients that were like friends of the family? Like, would you interact with those people and see the changes that they had in their lives? My grandfather was an obstetrician. He was actually initially trained as a trauma surgeon in World War II. And when he got back from the war, he decided he wanted to deliver babies and do Boy, the there's opposite. some like, you can talk about the psychology that goes along with that. It's probably pretty straightforward. Yeah. So he delivered an entire generation of baby boomers in, in Northern New Jersey. Wow. And I remember just, you know, being up in North Jersey, you know, spending time with my grandparents and I'd be out with my parents at the local supermarket or 7-Eleven or Wawa or something. And people would recognize the name and oh, yeah. be like, and be like, cause you know, it's an unusual name. And it'd be like, Oh, I think your, your, your father delivered, you know, delivered my daughter, delivered Brought my, my kids into the world. Yeah. And I'd be like, no, that's my grandpa. So, and literally you could not go out. No one could look at your license or your credit card and not recognize the name. Cause literally my grandfather was a hardworking man and he delivered an entire generation of baby boomers. So it was incredibly personal 
in that way. I mean, you're walking around town, everybody is connected to you sort of, I mean, I would imagine too, there's an element of being an obstetrician, bringing babies into the world. It's such a joyful thing, right? Were you ever, did you, did that part of the profession ever call to you? Did you ever think? Absolutely. I, I went to med medical school wanting to become an obstetrician. Mm. And then, you know, having gotten my feet wet during my clinical rotations, I realized that women would like women south of the border. Yeah, <laughs> uh, right. It sounded very reasonable. Right, of course. Time. Yeah, so then I turned my attention towards my father's profession, which was head and neck surgery. Okay, so head and neck surgery. Yeah, and for that, it was a little different. You know, we'd be in the supermarket in South Jersey or something, and somebody would have a cut on their neck and say, your dad did this to me um, <laughs> um, in a very positive way, right? But um, <laughs> yeah. I have a funny Look at this one. <laughs> I, I have a funny story about, you know, a similar thing. My son had a similar experience with a scar I put on, on a patient's neck at a Raiders game. Noticed, noticed me. But anyway, so yeah, so it's, I really wanted to be an obstetrician. <laughs> but then sort of turned my attention towards my dad's profession because he loved what he did as well. So you get, you do your medical school down uh, Tulane University in New Orleans, right? And you, like you said, you get your feet wet, you start to explore different disciplines, but the, the, the challenges of medical school residency are more or less pretty famous, right? I mean, I think most people are familiar with them just almost from popular media, like television shows and things like that. Long hours, little sleep. That's the kind of the gig. Can you reflect on that time in New Orleans, what you were doing and, and how it shaped you into the doctor you are today? Talk about that period in your life as you started to develop. You know, I trained predominantly at Charity Hospital in New Orleans, which is no longer, no longer around. It was decommissioned after, after mm. Katrina. But it was really the Wild West structure of working at Charity Hospital and the unique opportunity I had to care for some extremely sick people um, with mm. limited resources. But it's yeah. really trying to do more with less that really shaped my innovation spirit mm. later in life because nothing directs innovation like restriction of resources. Necessity is the mother. Yeah. So um, we were really forced to do so much with, with so little. You have no, no other choice but to innovate and triage and do your best. Was that a similar experience? Because I know you also worked at the VA in Biloxi. Was that a similar situation to charity where you were looking to do, like kind of get resources where resources might not have been available to you? Did you have to be creative in both of those kind of environments, or was that really a charity hospital thing? It was really a charity hospital thing. I mean, charity was called the big free because mm. there was no billing. I mean, you walked in the door, yeah. you know, you were taken care of regardless. So at the VA, we had um, a lot more structure. There was a lot more resources, a lot more mentorship and tutelage. So, but it does bring up the question, you brought it up, right? We're talking about necessity being the mother of invention and having to do more with less. Had you always, because you've got this really incredible entrepreneurial streak. And I'm wondering if you felt like you came to that, to the profession with that, 
or was that something that you developed as a result of that? It's hard to say, you know, what mm. came first. I know we were really at charity, had our backs up against the wall to one is to try not to hurt anybody and, you know, right. and then try and number one, number two, try to do the best for, for our patients. But, you know, as a junior attending and as a, an assistant professor, I had just some wonderful mentorship that really mm -hmm. helped pave my entrepreneurship and my desire to innovate later towards the middle part of my career. And also being in Northern California, it's kind of in the DNA up here, right? Like everybody's got a startup company. I myself have an untold number of unfunded startup companies. So if anybody's listening who wants to chip in, I'll, uh, I'll have a uh, Venmo link at the end of this podcast that, uh, that you all can participate in. Big, big ideas yeah, big out ideas. there, Peter. Big, yeah. big ideas that are out there. So the, having support from mentors as you're developing that part of yourself, the entrepreneurial part, because you do hold a ton of patents. How many patents now do you have on medical devices? Do you know off the top of your head? Uh, probably four or five. Four or five. Four or five. Okay. And, that's that's know, four or five more medical device patents than I hold. Yeah, and a okay. half dozen failed startups along the way. Half dozen failed startups, but that's kind of, and you do a whole thing on the importance of failure. Yeah, absolutely. Too, right? You do an important speech on the importance of failure, but I guess that's also where innovation comes from. Do you have a process for innovation when it comes to the medical field? Do you have like a time of the day where you sit down and go like, oh, what can I create next? Or is it more of a thunderbolt kind of thing for you? How does, how does that process generally work for you? The process generally is, and again, this comes from one of my biggest mentors is a ear surgeon named Hillary Brody, who's my chairman who recruited me to come up to, to UC Davis. Mm. And Hillary is one of the most positive, supportive, parent-like figures that you can ever imagine. Like I was pretty, I was the director of the Voice and Swallowing Center in La Jolla. It's a hard place to leave, right? So I was recruited up here. I just had a like a four-page list. You're saying there's not a lot of traffic from San Diego up to Sacramento? Is this more the other way yeah, around? Yeah, there's not a lot of people leaving La Jolla. <laughs> So yeah, everything Hillary is just like whatever you need. I got a list, ran through the list. Sure, sure, sure. It literally whatever it just made it impossible to to say no. But to Hillary, every single challenge is an opportunity. Mm. So even in failure, there's a learning opportunity. Um, and I got this from my dad too. I always used to say, you know, success is a terrible teacher, right? If, <laughs> if, and to Hillary everything is every challenge is an opportunity whether it's you know what are you going to do during covid are you going to get a, get your pilots pilots license which is what you know my wife and i talked my daughter into doing during covid are you going to sit on your butt and watch netflix all day you know like i chose b um, <laughs> yeah so you know even um you know, especially in failure, that's really, if you're not failing, you're not pushing the envelope, you're not learning. So, um, and Hillary was remarkable at that. You know, even when my 
father died who was my best friend it's like what good can come out of losing your father early mm. but you know what an opportunity to become close with my mom and she and i never had a relationship right. till my dad died so even in there is a perspective shift that goes along with those times isn't it and it feels like that's something that has been central to you largely you know I mean, it's probably been there all along but sometimes the mentors are the ones who really bring that kind of thing out to help shape that perspective about how do you turn uh, the bad situations to, into that opportunity? What's the silver lining associated with that? Yeah. I'm interested, though, because you're widely renowned for issues related to the voice and swallowing. And you have been uh, focused on that area for a little over 20 years now. And I'm wondering, over the course of that time, have you seen changes or uh differences and afflictions now that you have a chance to look back a little bit on a career that's spanned that long how has how have the patients coming to you changed or, or what they're bringing to you changed over the past 20 years or so we've made tremendous strides as a medical field in diagnostics but we can now see things we couldn't see before we can hear things we couldn't hear before we can feel things we haven't felt before we can literally see through walls and body parts. And so the X-ray glasses that I sent away for as a kid in the back of the comic book are now actually a thing. It's now in my desk drawer, quite literally. <laughs> but there's that diagnostic revolution has not been met by mm. a therapeutic revolution. And that's where Okay, I've been... so the one's leading the other. Right. So we've okay. made so many strides in the diagnosis of various disorders of the voice swallowing and airway, but our, our treatments really haven't changed very much over the last 20 years. And that's, is that starting to catch up now? Do you see that beginning to evolve or is it still just diagnostics leading the trail? We're doing our best. Yeah. yeah. Me and my colleagues, uh, you know, are really doing our best, but it's, it's much slower going in, at least in my field, uh, it's really why there's such wonderful opportunity because there have been so many problems that haven't been solved yet. You right. Know, it's a great field to be in because of the opportunity. Goes back to the opportunities and challenges within opportunities and kind of things like that. Now, as someone who focuses on issues related to voice and swallowing, I would think that the esophagus and the larynx provide you with the most interest in your job. But I have a sneaking suspicion you're going to throw me a curveball here. It, you know, I'm a technically a laryngologist, which and a, a laryngologist and a bronchoesophagologist, which are English, 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 English. What I'm the heck? What the heck are those? Right, well, I trained as like an ear, nose, and throat doctor. I've okay. thrown out the ear, thrown out the nose, but I'm <laughs> do a lot more than than just the throat. So for okay. me, the throat is also called the foregut which really extends, you know, all the way from the mouth um, down to the stomach. So I've later in my career, I've really developed a real passion for, for the stomach, which is mm. um, really uh, extended organ, sort of many would say outside of the typical ENT doctors. I was going to say it's not even in the name. Yeah, not even in the name. Yeah. But the stomach is so fascinating. Give me, give me some fun facts about the stomach. What should I know oh, about my own stomach that I probably don't 
already know. Well, Dave, your stomach. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's getting bigger every day. That's one thing I need to yeah. know about it. Yeah, your stomach has been through the ringer. <laughs> um, but the um, you know the stomach is about the size of your fist. Really, so is that small? Is that small when oh. empty? And it can enlarge to, gosh, hold about four liters. You know, um, this is a podcast, so I'm a little bummed that people can't see your eyes because the look of awe when you just said it could expand to four liters. That was that was pretty amazing. Yeah. Well, it's um, actually pretty big. It goes from a fist to four liters. Okay, that's that's liters, pretty dramatic. Right. And it's you know, as we all you know have heard, the stomach is the gateway to the soul. <laughs> <laughs> and it controls so much of our daily existence. What what's going on in the stomach reflects you know, a lot of our anxiety, a lot of our mood. Uh, yeah. Um, it's right there at the center of our body. And the stomach acid, which, you know, we all have copious amounts of, uh, the yeah. stomach acid is strong enough to burn skin and digest almost every organ in the body. So if I'm walking around with this soup in my stomach that could for lack of a better term, kill me. Absolutely. I mean, you are literally carrying around a copious amount of battery acid in your stomach. <laughs> Just pH, it's between pH one and two. It's it's the same pH as battery acid. Okay, so dangerous stuff. But it's doing what it needs to do. It's there for a reason, right? It's digesting the food. That's how it breaks down everything. Absolutely. Not only is it essential in digestion, but it also kills the bacteria. Oh, okay. right? Everything we, every yeah. little thing we put in our mouth has bugs on it. Like whether it's, I'm just you know, never going to eat again after this conversation. What do you mean? Everything I put in my mouth has bugs on it. I, I wash my lettuce. Yeah. Well, so the, you know, it's essential to kill to di not just digest the food, but, ki but kill the bacteria. Yeah. But it's thankfully, uh, protected by these mucosal cells that protect the walls of the stomach and the esophagus. And there's this layer of mucus that keeps the acid mm. and the digestive or proteolytic enzymes from injuring itself, literally from keeping your body from digesting itself. Right. Oh, Gavalt. I mean, is this why acid, I mean, as someone who suffers from acid reflux, is that why it's so interruptive to people's experience. I mean, it's just when, when you're going through that moment, that acid boiling up and doing that kind of thing, it, it's, it is uncomfortable. It is uncomfortable and dangerous. Mm. So the, the stomach is very well protected to handle this battery acid, right? Right. But the esophagus less so, and the throat and upper airway oh. much less so. So the further north you go in the body, the less prepared you are to deal with these kinds of issues. Right. So when the stomach isn't functioning well and, or you just overeat, right? Never happens. Never happens. Never so happens. Overeat. It takes for a reasonably sized meal, yeah. four hours to, for your stomach to empty. And that's just a reasonably sized reasonable meal. Size How meal. Much just define us. reasonable. Define reasonable. I have a feeling I'm being really unreasonable in a lot of stuff. A small plate of food. Damn. Not a giant plate of food. Like one small plate of food. No second helpings. Just one small plate of food. Uh, making so many mistakes. 
imagine it's like just look at your fist like a fist full of food right anything bigger than that you know the size of your fist is it's going to regurgitate right it's, if it can't go south it can only come north the stomach needs to decompress so you kind of get this fascination with the stomach we talked about the challenges particularly those associated with acid reflux right the power of that acid in your stomach we also talked about this entrepreneurial streak that you have and these things all kind of coalesce because you helped create something called reflux gourmet which i want you to both define like what is reflux gourmet and then can you give a little bit of the origin story associated with like how did that particular thunderbolt strike you in the entrepreneurial process and how did it kind of come to be right well it's just extremely fortunate and sort of in the right place mm. you know given the right opportunities in the right time and it's extremely fortunate to have just an incredible uh, partner who's my counterpart at harvard is brilliant physician named uh, dr ramon franco who's has a very similar entrepreneurial spirit and has started successful medical device companies in the past. You know, he and I just uh, got together and were exposed to a celebrity chef named Ken Frank, who's the Michelin rated chef at Latoque in Napa. And he was a patient of ours with really bad acid reflux, and he's an international speaker and affecting his throat. Oh, okay. So this is something not only from a just an enjoyment standpoint, but like it was starting to affect his ability to deliver the kinds of material that he wanted to deliver. Yeah, no, it was affecting his career. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's, he had a, a growth on his vocal cords. Oh, okay. Massive reflux. Um, yeah, acid reflux, if gone unchecked, can cause cancer. Um, certainly the cancer of the esophagus, which okay. is, but anyway, so he had like a really career threatening, if not, you know, a reflux related disorder. And um, there's a, the beneficial effects of alginate or brown kelp or seaweed have been known for, you know, a hundred years. Okay. Um, there, there've been some other products overseas, which we've utilized uh, seaweed based reflux product overseas that really helped our patients but had some some stuff in there just we didn't like that's some additives that have been implicated in the development of certain cancers and some okay some stuff like not everybody wanted to put in their body so the seaweed you kind of already knew about as a potential treatment but the products on the market just kind of mm, it's it's a it's a it's almost there but has some things in it we're just not a big fan of. Right. So Ken, who's not only is uh, one of the best chefs in the world, and I think arguably the number one truffle chef in the world. How do they evaluate that? He is like that's, a, that's, a, that's a topic for a never broadcast. That's, I took right. it, that's, that's crazy. But he's the king of like the royal order of the Knights of the Truffle or something. Like he's the head of the whatever the Royal Knights of the Truffle is. But anyway, I want that title. Um, who's, in addition to being the, the Lord Truffle, is just an amazing chemist. Like really one of the most brilliant uh, chemists I've ever met. Yeah. Okay. Well, there's cooking, right? 
Yeah, and he was able to to devise an all natural uh, formula, not only that was effective in protecting the throat and esophagus, but also tastes pretty good. You know, and that's really where Ken's brilliance came in because the um, you know the other available products were not very palatable, but Ken was okay. just through chemistry and culinary magic able to come up with an amazing formula. What's it, what does it taste like? Well, there's a vanilla caramel. Reflex Gourmet is a company that our alginate products are a vanilla caramel rescue, which tastes like vanilla caramel. And we have a mint chocolate rescue, which tastes like mint. And people say, well, mint is good for reflux. It's really just all natural flavorings. It doesn't actually have mint or chocolate in it. That sounds more like to... dessert than it does does a treatment. It does, yeah. That's really incredible what he was able to to create all this and you know keep it all natural. So you def- you get together, you develop Reflux Gourmet. Did you have a sense right out of the gate that like, oh my gosh, this is a game changer? Did you not know what you had with this because it is an it is a sort of a new variation on an existing product? Yeah, we had no idea what we had because you did, right. you know you help develop this thing using you know, Ken's formula and you really don't, don't know what you have. You don't know if people are going to benefit from it. You don't mm-hmm. know people are going to like the taste of it. Yeah. It's nerve wracking. Um, right. It's terrifying. Was there a moment um, when you felt like people were going, Oh, they're like, this is, this is starting to happen. Yeah. Well, you know, we have thousands and thousands and thousands of emails from hmm. um, people, you know, saying, you know, this, got me off got me off the, the pills that you know have side effects or this um, helped allow me to get a lung transplant because my lungs were being injured from acid reflux or I had wow. esophageal wow. cancer and this you know helped me get through my chemotherapy and you know it's really those endless emails that was really kept us going and so. it's a Departure too, because I know you, like you talked about, you, you have a few patents on medical devices. This is a really broad-based, consumer-facing product. So it's potentially enormous market. I mean, I, <laughs> I speak from personal experience with acid reflux. I mean, it's it's not like esoteric by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, did you have to learn anything about bringing something like this to market? How is it different from some of your previous entrepreneurial efforts? Yeah, well, there's, you know, I've had consultants and, and mentors along the way. And mm. it's really, and Ramon with his brilliance has had a lot of um, experience in successfully bringing things to market. And I, like I said, I've had a, um, some startups in the past that got close, mm-hmm. but we just couldn't get over the finish line for one reason or another. And you take that life experience and learn from it and everything folds up into this. Yeah, exactly. Where does it go from here? I mean, it's been on the market now for a few years now. Do you start to feel like you're at the point where, okay, this is pretty solid base. Do you, does it have other applications or, or product extensions that you can, that you can take from this? You know, Reflex Gourmet is a company, our, our viscous liquid, which is kind of like a gel that coats the throat and esophagus mm-hmm. and protects it from the, the battery acid. It also prevents regurgitation. That's, that's our one product. We also have a 
reflux pillow, which is really one of the most comfortable. Really? It must be tough to eat. On the market. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So there's actually a physical pillow. It's a, it's a pillow that elevates your chest. So gets gravity on your sides when you, instead of lying flat at night where you can, the contents of your stomach can regurgitate and burn your esophagus and throat. This literally just gets gravity on your side and elevates your chest. It's a it's a passive way to control acid reflux with with the pillow with the pillow. Absolutely. Huh. So yeah. So with the pillow, and we're coming out with a alginate based uh, chewing gum, which will be the first reflux relief chewing gum in the world. Um, yeah, we're really trying to develop a a lifestyle to improve symptoms, quality of life, and in some circumstances, trying to get people off potentially harmful medications. So it does sort of boil down to that. If it's like, okay, you know, obviously diet and everything that goes into that and how you eat and all, all impact it, but there is this sort of lifestyle component to it. Like what are the things that you're doing around your life? to be able to mitigate some of the impacts that acid reflux has. Because again, I, I think everybody I talk to has acid reflux almost to some degree, right? So it's all these things that go around your day-to-day life to make, to alleviate that. Yeah. And you know, you're in the sporting world, right? And that's some of the most. Oh, it's um, nothing but health food. Right. <laughs> reflux provoking you know, behaviors in the world, but there's like, what, a, like a billion chicken wings consumed on Super Bowl Sunday, right? It's like, I mean, Super Bowl Sunday has to be like, you could probably just pour reflux gourmet out over the entire population of the US. Um, literally, we've had people tell us, you know, they put on their ice cream, but um, yeah. But, <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's absolutely, you can make a huge improvement just with quality of life, right? We talked about the stomach takes between four and five hours to empty. Yeah. So if you eat dinner at seven and go to bed at nine 30, oh. you're going to have a fistful of food in your stomach. That's getting sloshed around that can regurgitate with the stomach acid and, you know, and burn vital organs. So I, 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 I honest to God, I think I'm going to start having dinner at four now just to make sure I get past that threshold. Now you brought we'll this up. You brought the drugs, Dave. We'll get you off the drugs. Get me off the drugs. Uh, you, you did bring this up. This is nominally a podcast about sports business. So we have to, we have to create a little bit of crossover here. Oh, and, they and told me that this was a health and wellness podcast. It is, but with a huge sports business undercurrent associated with it. So just, <laughs> you know, you got to keep that in mind as we do this thing. This is an industry that, can eat pretty poorly, right? I mean, all you have to do is take one look at the nachos, you know, and the, and the cheese getting pumped out of a, out of a can to know that that's probably not going to be a great uh, nine o'clock at night uh, response mechanism for your stomach. And the other thing too is it's a lot of stress involved, right? You know, games turn on a moment's notice and things happen. It's just a lot of stuff. And I'm, I'm assuming stress plays a pretty big role in that. These are, these are conditions that are, acid reflux home base to use a little sports analogy give for the layman for for the person standing in the stadium on game day or sitting in the front office how can people head off acid reflux before it really becomes a problem give give some choice tips 
in addition to using Reflux Gourmet? Number one, don't overeat. (laughs) Okay. Control yourself. Don't eat anything more than the size of your fist. It's so hard. Yeah, the two-pound bratwurst at the the Pac-12 championship game probably is going to end up rejoining you at some point. All right. You're going to be seeing it again. Right. So do what is just don't know, just don't so control self-control. Right. Um, and number two is just closing the kitchen early. And this was one of my other mentors, a uh, surgeon named Jamie Coffin was just a huge proponent. You're going to do one thing, just shut the kitchen early. Like you said, just like, eat earlier, eat earlier. And then, you know, stop eating at four o'clock and then ensure that when you lie down, which is when some of the most harmful effects of reflux sort of take place, you know, it's going to be much less likely with an empty stomach. Okay. Those are the the big ones. Um, Number three is elevating your head of bed or sleeping in a comfortable upright. So a little little bit more upright. Right. Our our reflux pillow comes comes into play. And that doesn't mean just propping yourself up on pillows, which can cause the acid to pull in your throat, but really getting your your whole chest up. And the magic number there is like seven inches. Seven inches elevate head over torso or, or stomach. Elevate chest right over over torso. Seven inches is a magic. More than seven inches has been shown to be uncomfortable and of limited benefit. So it's really the sort of the Goldilocks zone for, okay. for sleeping upright is seven inches. Um, right. but, you know, those are really the big ones. And avoiding acidic foods is one we hear a lot of. What are the worst offenders? Acidic food worst offenders are. It it's really not like the the spicy food is not the enemy. Like if it doesn't bother you on the way down, mm. it's probably not causing much harm. The other one we get a lot of is people saying, "Oh, I was told by somebody else, you know, to avoid coffee." Mm. We actually did a study years ago. Um, I had to give up coffee for I was having like a rapid heartbeat so I, my doctor told me to give up coffee for a while and i was like well if i can't drink coffee i'm taking the rest of the world with me <laughs> <laughs> right you're all going down starbucks right so i did this like really extensive trial over two years to look at the effects of uh caffeine on reflux and black coffee and what we found was actually that up to three cups of black coffee a day was actually protective against reflux. Oh, uh, what? Yep. So as long as you're not piling up with cream and sugar, you know, black coffee is a lot of potential positive health benefits. So you no need to give up black coffee. Thanks. You know, we talk a lot about diet and poor eating and, and like late eating and going to bed as being a big cause of acid reflux, but that's not always the case, right? Because even people who are physically fit, like you go into exercise, it can be a pretty common thing for people to experience acid reflux when they're trying to be physically fit, right? That's not uncommon. You know, athletes, it's really a unique population of patients with reflux disease because they're doing things to their body that they weren't meant to do. Mm. And the results of that are fascinating in addition to the mentality of taking care of athletes is even more fascinating. Okay. When you're straining, whether it's from running or bending or weightlifting, anytime you're straining, walking upstairs. 
at increased risk of regurgitating. Okay. Right. And and as a when you're at peak performance, you need to hydrate too, right? So you can't right. you can't perform on an empty stomach. Imagine you're know, running 26 miles without any nutrition and any hydration. And battery acid sloshing around in your stomach. Exactly. And battery acid sloshing around in your stomach. So it's a very challenging population to take care of. Um, but that's where the reflux gourmet has helped so many people because it um, you know coats and protects. There's a small amount of sugar in there for energy, but it's oh, okay. vegetation. So, you know, and we're actually working on a product specifically for, for athletes. With oh, a future development coming up, which is, you know, leading to those extended product lines. Runners Gourmet. Runners Gourmet coming to you soon. <laughs> All right. Tips for better living from Dr. Peter Bolofsky, who I want to say thanks for joining me, Peter. But before I let you go, uh, like everybody else, uh, I'm going to have to put you into the lightning round. I've been dreading these are, you know, that. Yeah, I know you've sort of been dreading this. I, I know, you know, this is a, this is a thing, but I'm going to give you a bunch of questions here. I have not pre-screened these with you. So these are, uh, these are going to be straight from, uh, the doctor's mouth. Are you ready? Bring it on. All right, let's do this thing. All right. The lightning round. What's the strangest place you fell asleep in the hospital during your residency? Elevator. <laughs> Standing up? Standing up. Standing up, you fell asleep. Standing up in the elevator during residency. Okay. You did your medical school at Tulane in New Orleans. What was your favorite thing to eat when you lived in the Big Easy? Shrimp po' boy. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Uh, you're a big Eagles fan. Please sing the first two verses of the fight song. You want me to sing it or say it? Oh, I want you to sing it. Fight, Eagles, fight on the road to victory. Fight, Eagles, fight. Score a touchdown. One, two, three. Hit him low. Oh, he's going to keep going. He's going to keep going. I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have interrupted. I could have gotten the whole song out of you. It's the lightning round. Come uh, on. Stick to point. It's the lightning round to keep it moving. Another, uh, another Eagles question. Jaws, Randall, Donovan, Nick, or Jalen? Nick. That one hurts. Okay. Uh, last one. On the Reflux Gourmet website, your bio says you're known for, among other things, crazy ideas. Other than appearing on this podcast, what's the craziest idea you've ever had? Well, I was going to cure voice disorders with the world's most powerful magnets and almost ended up killing myself. <laughs> um, okay, that would be the craziest idea I've heard today. So well done, uh, Dr. Peter Belofsky. I'm going to ask you to do the title because there's no way I can, I can pronounce this. Uh, professor of? Otolaryngology, head and neck surgery of UC Davis and co-founder of Hope Medicine and Reflex Gourmet. Go ahead. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for listening to this episode of the one-on-one -on -one Sports Business Conversations podcast. If you enjoyed it, we always appreciate a subscribe, share, comment, or like. And don't forget, you can always find past episodes at abcpartners.com slash podcast. This podcast is written, produced, edited, and hosted by Dave Almey. And the theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. <laughs>